Welcome to the weekly service message from the Crossbridge Church. Look for us on the web at www.crossbridgeny.org. Join us now as Pastor Nate Young delivers this week's message. Go ahead and open your Bibles up to 1 John chapter 4. We're up to uh, the fourth chapter in 1 John. Uh, Today we'll be looking at verses 7 through 12, 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. If you're here today and you didn't bring a Bible with you, you don't have a Bible, there should be a Bible in the seat in front of you. Uh, Feel free to use that Bible today. If you don't have a Bible at home, please take that Bible with you uh, as our gift to you. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. Uh, If you took the sermon notes um, or saw the the notes online, you would notice that the title of today's sermon is, What's Love Got to Do With It? Now, if immediately a song pops in your head, you may have dated yourself uh, in terms of what era of music you're from. But today, we're, we're hoping to answer this particular question, what's love, what does love have to do with, with us? What does love have to do with anything? What does love have to do with life? What does love have to do with it? Now, let me just say this as some introductory statements before we read the passage. Love has become such a distorted concept in our day and age. Is love just a feeling? Is it something that you can fall in and out of? How do we even know what love is? Does it accomplish anything in our lives except heartbreak? Thankfully, the Lord has spoken on love to give us clarity. And as we'll see today, love is much more than a feeling. It is sure and knowable. Love is sure and knowable. And in fact, it has accomplished something that we could never do on our own. And it gives us clear direction for our lives. So here's the thesis. Here's here's the big idea of today's sermon. Love is much more than just a feeling. It is sure and knowable. It has accomplished something we could never accomplish on our own, and it gives us clear direction for our lives. With this thesis in your mind, I want to invite you to stand with me for a reading from the Word of God, 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. If you're able, please stand and follow along as I read these verses. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. This is a reading from the Word of God. You may be seated. 
if you've been following along in this sermon series in the book of, of 1 John, what you're going to notice is that John constantly repeats himself in this particular letter. This is not the first time that he's talked about love or loving others. And he starts out exactly in this particular passage in a place where he's already talked about. So, if you're starting to feel like maybe he's becoming repetitious, let me suggest to you that, that he is. He is repeating himself, but every time he repeats himself, he's doing so in such a way that the thought is being progressed and deepened. He's already talked about loving others in 1 John 3, verse 11 and 23. So he's repeating and deepening this idea of what it means to love one another. And he's going to answer this question that, that you may have asked already. The question is, why should we love one another? I, I understand I'm supposed to love someone else, but, but I'm a bit of a skeptic. I want to know why I'm doing the thing I've been called to do. When he tells us to love one another, he sets about to, to give us a reason as to why. Why should we love one another? Well, what does the text tell us in, in verse 7? It says, let us love one another. Why? For love is from God. Love has its very origin in God. And this is part of the reason why God is the one who gets to tell us what love is. Because love comes from Him. He's the one who gets to define and determine what loves. He says, love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves… Now, this is again where we have to make a very clear distinction, because previously John has already set forth from us, or for us, what love actually is. If you remember in the preceding verses, he said that love begins with God here, and in the preceding verses, love has a very tangible aspect to it. Love is sacrificial in nature, that one should be willing to lay down their life for their brother, and if they see their brother in need, they should be willing to use the worldly possessions that they have to help them. Love has a very tangible aspect to it, and it is very important that we get John's description, God's description of love correct here. Because if love is defined by the world, and you might have heard things like, love is love, meaning a, an, an aberrant lifestyle is okay because it's centered in love. But if you, you understand the definition of God's of love that comes from God, love is not selfish. Not, love is not about me getting what I desire. Love is about sacrificing for the benefit of others and the worship of God. So everyone who loves God and sacrifices to love others, this text tells us, has been born of God, that there's a continuing result of the new birth. And this should actually be very comforting to you, because this particular phrase needs to, to stick in your mind, especially in those difficult times that you might experience in your spiritual walk this text reminds us that there are no spiritual orphans. That once you're born of God, you're always a child of God, and God has never abandoned you to figure it out on your own. 
that the love of God has been ministered to you as His child, and then you're to continue in that love as a child of God. John has said something very similar to this in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 9 through 13. He says, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. That's Jesus. He came in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God." If you're a believer in Jesus Christ today and you've experienced the love of God, that happened because God willed it to be, and He will continue to will it to be all the way into eternity. You will never be orphaned by God. But not only has the person been born of God, this, tells us, this text tells us that they know God. They have a continual knowledge of God. And again, this is another instance in which John is giving to the believer full assurance of their knowledge and relationship with God. But there's something that we need to notice that's very important right away. He says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. He's the child of God, they're the child of God, and they know God. But then he, he sets up, in, in contrast to that, anyone who does not love does not know God. So the person who does not love God and does not evidence the love of God to others does not know God. Why, again, would this be true? Because... God is love. Now, I hope that this is penetrating into your hearts and minds through your ears, because what he's saying here is that the call to love is now grounded in the very character of God, that God himself is love, his character is love, and the call to love is born out of the very nature and character of God. Think about this. Think about this when you consider the message of hate that often penetrates and permeates those who claim to know God. Let's be clear. Jesus says that you can love your enemies. So even those who are living in opposition to God and His Word fall into the category of people that we are to love, both by telling them the truth and meeting physical needs when possible. That means you and I are free to love those who don't even love God and who might even act in hate towards us. The gospel frees us to love them even while we're telling them what they're doing is wrong according to the Word of God. But let, let's get this really straight here. Again, I think it's very important for us to understand what love is, to understand that God is love. And let me suggest to you that much of modern Christianity has been permeated with the, the idea that since God is love, then love is God. And if you understand the fallacy of this thinking, that then becomes God's main determinative attribute, that everything then is driven by love and love alone. But brothers and sisters, this is not true. Love does not rule the universe. God rules the universe. 
And God has love as one of his character attributes, but all of his attributes function together in unison. Yes, God is love, but he is also just. And yes, God is merciful, but he is also righteous. And we do a great disservice to God when we limit him to only one of his attributes. And even worse when we try to make everything that he does fit through the lens of love without balancing all of his nature and character and attributes. We must know that God is the only being in the universe that can be just and holy while loving and righteous. You and I have a very difficult time with that. When you want justice, how loving are you typically? When you feel like you've been wronged, are you also merciful? Mm-mm. But God is. God is perfect in every one of his attributes, including the attribute of love. This means, and this again, this should be an incredible comfort to you in two ways. One, all his activity is loving. Because love and justice and holiness and righteousness is God acting in who he is constantly all the time. And so when something goes wrong in your life and you have a hard time understanding it, be reminded that God is loving in everything that he does. But not only is God loving in everything that he does, this means because God is love and we interact with him inside of love, this means that God is not a distant, far away God, but God is a living, personal God. Someone who is dead will have a very difficult time loving you. But brothers and sisters, God is not dead. And God is not far off and distant. He is close and personal, and he loves you. He loves us so much that he, in the person and work of Jesus Christ, has eternally given us of himself and shared of himself. There is no thing more loving that God could even do. There's one other aspect of love that I want to explore with you. I think this is a fun one. Did you know that love is something that has always existed. Did you know that? And you might initially say, well, that, that can't be. It has to be created. But if God is love, how long has God existed? Eternally. That means God and all of his character attributes have existed eternally. Love has always been present in the person of the Trinity. That means that God in his character was prepared to love us before we existed. Listen to Jesus' words in John chapter 14, verse 31. But I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Jesus Christ is God. He existed perfectly co-eternally and co-equal in eternity past in all of the character attributes that make up God, including love. I said there was one more thing. Uh, that was the last one. It's not. Let me throw one more at you. 
in counseling, oftentimes we have young married or couples that will be married soon study 1 Corinthians 13. Are you familiar with this passage? Love is, and then we, we tell them, this is what a loving marriage looks like, that love is patient and kind. And the whole list of attributes that are listed there, it, it seems like a checklist of things that, that you're supposed to do to be loving. And let me tell you that a description of 1 Corinthians 13 without the understanding that that is actually a description of God falls short of understanding that passage. You want to know what the love of God is like in all of its character attributes? Read 1 Corinthians 13 and know that is what God is like. All right, now I'm ready to move on. Okay. We spent all this time talking about God as love, his character attributes, but, but how do we know God's love? We can know that God is love, but how do we actually know it? Look at verse 9 with me. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world. How, how do we know God's love? We know his love in that God made it manifest. He made it clear and evident to us. He revealed to us something previously hidden. He made that manifest among us. And what is that, brothers and sisters? How did he make himself manifest to us? It's one word. It's a name, loud and clear. Let's hear it. Jesus. Jesus is the love of God revealed to you and me. He sent his love in the person and the work of Jesus Christ to come down from heaven to minister his love amongst us. Now, there's a very important idea that's being communicated here in this particular text. Jesus was sent by God the Father. He sent his only Son. God sent Jesus Christ, who is also God, the second person of the Trinity, as an official, authoritative representative to do a specific task. Now, this, this particular understanding should make our brains hurt a little bit, because here's what this means. Jesus knows his whole life, what he is here to do, and how that's going to go. Jesus knows that he has been sent for a specific purpose, to live a perfect life, but to die one of the most gruesome deaths someone could ever die. He knows that the entire time. Think about that in how he conducts himself in light of knowing what is going to happen to him and the love he shows to those who are around him, all the while knowing that he will die the most gruesome death on behalf of the very people who hate and mistreat him that he loves while he's here. He knows. Not only does he know, this text tells us that God sent his only son or as the King James puts it, his only begotten son. And for those of us who have been around church for a little while, another verse from the Gospel of John should immediately pop into our heads. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. That's John 3.16. What both of those verses, I think, are stressing when they say only or only begotten 
is to stress that Jesus himself is absolutely one of a kind. That Jesus is completely and totally unique. And it stresses to us the extreme love of God the Father for us to send the most unique person in the whole universe, and and not just in the whole universe at that time, but in the history of existence to be sacrificed for our sins. God gives up the most precious thing in the entire universe to allow him to be mistreated and murdered for sin that he never committed on behalf of sinners like you and me. And now we get to enjoy the blessings of the accomplished mission of Christ. What he accomplished for us on the cross comes with some incredible benefits. And what what does the text tell us are the blessings that we get to now enjoy by the accomplished mission of Christ? He says in the second half of verse 9, 1 John chapter 4, verse 9, the second half, so that he sent him into the world so that we might live through him. The first thing that we see here in this particular passage that the accomplished mission of Christ accomplished for us is our empowerment. And let me suggest to you that this empowerment both has implications for now and for eternity. He says that we might live, uh, that we might live through him. The, the power to live according to the word of God comes by the power of God through the person and work of Jesus Christ in both his life and his death. Here's what we're saying. No perfect life of Jesus, no perfect sacrifice. No perfect death of Jesus, no payment for sins. But since there was a perfect life, there could be a perfect and was a perfect sacrifice. And because of the perfect life and the perfect sacrifice, there is a perfect death and a perfect payment of sins. And as a child of God, you've been given the power to fight the sin you are dealing with because of what Jesus Christ has accomplished for us. You have been empowered through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. So here's the implications. Whatever struggle you are facing right now, if you are a child of God, You have the power through God to endure that struggle and to overcome it to God's glory. You have the power to fight temptation, to say no to sin, and say yes to living a righteous life to the glory of God. We have the power to live in unity as Christ's church in a world that is divided like never before. We have the power. You have the power. But but here's my, my fear. Any, any He-Man fans in the audience? Did you guys ever watch He-Man? I loved He-Man. There are times where He-Man does not exercise the power of Grayskull. Do you know about this? Anyone have no idea what I'm talking about? I'll explain it to you. Okay. He-Man is a prince in a mythical kingdom, and he has a giant cat that travels with him. And there's a magical... Wow, this sounds really weird when I say it out loud. (laughs) 
there is a magical castle called the Castle of Grayskull that imparts to him a sword that when he wields it, he transitions from being the prince to being He-Man who has no one who can best him in battle. And his cat at the same time transitions from a scaredy cat into a battle cat when He-Man wields his sword. But when he doesn't wield the power of the sword, he is easily bested in battle. And he's a bit of a coward, especially his cat. His cat is terrified. My fear is, brothers and sisters, that we're walking around with the power of the Spirit in our hands and we're walking around like cowards. That we're afraid to wield the power that you have at your disposal at any moment. When we put the sword of the Lord away and we forget who we are in Christ, we might seem powerless. But brothers and sisters, you have all the power you need to do what God is calling you to do because the power comes from him, not from us. And he has unlimited power. And because his power is unlimited, it's not just restricted to the now, it also extends into eternity. Listen to what the rest of the text says. In this, this is verse 10, 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. He says, in this is love, not that we've loved God, but that he loved us. And maybe this will resonate with you, but, but if you ever love someone who doesn't love you in return, have you ever tried it? If you haven't, it is not a fun ride. You try, but eventually that relationship fails. If a person doesn't love you in return, it's almost impossible for two people to go forward in relationship except with God. Because none of us loved him in our state before we knew him. And in this love... Not that we had for him, but that he has for us. He sacrificed his only son to make that relationship between you and I work. Because he had to impart to us his love so that we could love him in return. And before that, we were in an impossible relationship. Because at first, none of us loved him. No one did. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8 say this, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly, which was all of us. For no one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one will dare even to die. But God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We didn't show him an immense amount of love, and then he decided to die for us. He loved us so much that he did the impossible to make it possible for us to love him. He rescued us from our sin. This is because true love is selfless. True love of God has made it possible for us to not just live now, but the love of God is what gives us the life after this one. Because death is not the end. After we die, there are one of two places that we will spend this life after death, and we'll spend it eternally. And our sin, us in our normal state, it has absolutely earned us the right to spend eternity in hell. That's what it has earned us. 
And remember how the love of God works in perfection with all of his other attributes. Not only is God love, but he is also holy. And not only is he holy, he is just. And because he is holy and because he is just, he cannot tolerate sin. And since sin is done by sinners, he will not let any of them in heaven except his love has made it possible for us to have the right to go to heaven. We couldn't earn that way on our own because we're sinners. Someone who is perfect and has never sinned had to earn the right for us. And oftentimes when people want to reject the gospel, this is the point where they get stuck. Because they say, Pastor, this is not fair for someone to have to be punished or have to do work to earn something for me. I should be able to earn it on my own. I should be able to stand on my own merit before God. But we understand this idea of somebody earning something for us just as a normal course of life. We, we understand this to be true all around us. Let me ask you this question. As a baby, what did you earn for yourself? I mean, you might have been a really cute baby, right? Kids, were you really cute babies? Yeah? No? Colton, you were a cute baby. I remember what you looked like. My kids were cute babies. Your kids were cute babies, right? If you have kids, if the Lord blessed you with kids, they were beautiful. But what did their cuteness earn them? Did it earn them the milk that they lived on? Did it earn them the endless supply of diapers and birth cloths? It didn't. It didn't earn that for them. It didn't earn the sleepless nights. It didn't earn the expense that they cost. But our parents, your parents, did all those things for you willingly. Why? Because they loved you. They loved you. And in part because you go to jail if you don't take care of a baby. But it was primarily because of their love. Listen. God loves his children. And in Jesus Christ, he has earned us the right to be his children in this life and the next. How did he do that? Look at the rest of verse 10. How did he earn this right for us? He loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. This verse tells us that, that not only did God's love and the sending of his son accomplish for us the power to live in this life and in the next, it, it did so by accomplishing our forgiveness. And Jesus did this by becoming what the verse calls the propitiation for our sins. And as the propitiation for our sins, he satisfies the wrath of God against sin. And in this great act on our behalf, he becomes both the priest who offered the sacrifice and, and the sacrifice itself because he willy, willingly lays down his life for us in love. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 17 and 18 
states this. He says, therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For he himself has suffered when tempted. He is also able to help those who are being tempted. He's the priest, the great high priest, who can sympathize with us in our weakness because he knows what it's like to be human. But he's also the sacrifice for our sins. And he literally turns away the wrath of God. And if that's all he did, that would be enough. But in the propitiation, in him being the propitiation of, uh, for us as our, uh, in place of us, he makes God the Father propitious towards us. That means he makes God favorable towards us. He didn't just wipe away your guilt and your sin. He put you in good standing with God. And again, this is somewhat difficult for us to understand. Because if I invite someone over to my house for a party, and I provide all the food and all the accoutrements that go along with it, and they come over to my house and trash my house, make a mess of it, smash everything inside. Let me just put it to you. If that were to happen to you, how easily would you forgive them? You might say in your heart, I forgive you, but how soon are they getting an invitation to come back over to your house? They're not. You'd probably call the police or take them to court to have them pay for the damage. That seems right, doesn't it? But in God's economy, we messed up everything with our sin. We trashed the world he created, and we even killed his son. And yet, he forgives us. And not only does he forgive us in his love and forgiveness, there is no hate for us. There is no wrath for us. But as this text has already communicated to us, there is only love. So much love and forgiveness that in Jesus, God the Father has already forgiven you for the sin you are going to commit later today. Because the blood of Jesus Christ covers all of our sin, past, present, and future. And when we hear and experience the great love of God, we should immediately ask, what does God's love then call us to do? If I've experienced the great love of God, and it was given to me completely as a gift, not as my own by my own merit, but instead out of the great love of God, in response to that love that was given to me, what should I then do? And it's really simple, super simple, in theory. Because the call is to take that love that you have experienced and love each other. That's what it calls us to do. Beloved, verse 11, beloved, if God so loved us, since God has so loved us, we also ought to love one another. You who are loved by God, don't forget, God loves you. 
And since God loves you, since God loves us, there is something we should want to do in response to the love of God. We should almost feel as if there is a debt that must be morally paid. We should feel compelled to respond to the love of God. Yes, the love of God is a gift that was given to us and not earned, but His love comes with a responsibility and a duty. And that duty is to love others as you have been loved. That love of God should be seen at its highest in the church. That you and I, who make up the church of God, and remember, let me be really clear, the church isn't a building. The church isn't something that you do. It's who you are. You are the church. And the church has two expressions, universal, which is all believers of all time, and local, which are those of us who have covenanted in relationship together. But God's love should be seen at its highest amongst the universal, but specifically the local church, that you and I together as we make up this covenant church together, that we would love and help each other live like this to God's glory. And this duty to love, it's actually a great joy. This is one of the greatest joys of the Christian life, that that God brings together a group of people that doesn't really have any other reason to be together other than Christ. I don't know if you've looked around in here today, but we don't look like we go together. There's no other reason for us to be here today if Jesus Christ isn't who He says He is and hasn't loved us in the way that He has. But if he has, and since he has, then we get the opportunity to put his love on display and show people what eternal love is going to look like. It's going to look like this. A whole group of people that God brought together for no other reason other than he loved them and they're unified around Jesus Christ. And here's what happens when we love each other. Look look at verse 12. This seems really strange here in this particular place because he says, no one has seen God. But John, didn't you just tell us that God manifested his love to us? Didn't didn't we at least see the love of God? He says, no one has seen God. And then in my Bible, there's a semicolon. Is there something similar to that in your Bible? Then he says, if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. So, So why is it put together this way? No one has seen God because God is a spirit and as such is invisible. How many invisible things do you know well? Don't say your invisible friend because that doesn't count, right? We can't know the invisible unless the invisible decides to make itself known, which means you can't actually know God. unless he chooses to reveal himself to us. And thank God he has done that. And he has done that in part in the created order. Romans tells us that at least two elements of his, uh, his character are revealed in the created order. The world around us gives testimony that there is a God. This is why you should go out and stare into the sky and look at some leaves and grass and watch animals play. Because there is no way that happened by accident. No way. 
But not only has he revealed himself in the created order, he revealed himself clearly in Jesus Christ. When God himself came in human form and lived among us, we've got a very clear picture of what God is like because God was standing in front of us. Right now, his clearest revelation of himself, the the tried and true test of all things that pertain to God, is the Bible. This is why we treasure and teach from the Bible. This is how God has shown us who he is specifically. But sometimes, I think there's another means that God uses to draw people's attention to himself that we actually forget about. And this text hits the nail on the head. God, in the love that he's imparted to you, and in the way that you love others, reveals himself through you to a lost and dying world. You are, in fact, a living testimony of the existence of God. Your life, including the way you love others, is a testimony of God's existence. As he abides in us and his love is perfected in us, this unseen God is in part revealed to the world. And as we love And as people see the love of God minister to and through us, we must then take them to the Word of God so that they too might know God in fuller measure and know His gospel of salvation. But the bridge that often connects people to the love of God is our love ministered to them. So what does love got to do with it? Everything. It's because of the love of God that we have salvation. It's because of the love of God we can live to God's glory every day, and it's because of the love of God that we care for each other and point each other to Christ. Let's pray and ask God to help us live in his love today. Would you stand with me? God, we are thankful that you have loved us so much that you did reveal what you're like to us. You showed us what you were like. And not only did you show us what you're like, you loved us so much that you died for us. Lord, how could we know your love and not strive to minister it to others. Lord, may this church, may I, may everyone who would call themselves a part of this particular church be known by your love. And not just a love that accepts everything that everyone else does, but a a love that serves and cares while sharing the gospel. Lord, there are things that you have for us to say and do that are going to be very confrontational to the world around us. Things that will not be easily received. But may the love that you've ministered to us and the love that we minister to others give proof of your evidence and show that the words that we say are not empty but are in fact the truth. Lord, I ask today, too, that if there is anyone present who does not know your love, who has not experienced 
the salvation that comes through Jesus Christ alone, that today they would know the weight of their sin. They would see the fate of their eternity in hell and that they would cry out to you and ask you to forgive them and receive the free gift of salvation that only you can give. Lord, none of us is guaranteed tomorrow. Lord, let today be the day of salvation for them. But Lord, as we prepare to sing, and as we prepare to become the church scattered, may your love, a love that is driven by our love for you and acts of service to others as we speak the truth, be evident in our lives. Help us today. Give us the strength that you already have in your spirit. Allow us to to live in and through this power. We ask this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Please feel free to share this message, but remember, don't charge for it or change it. The Lord's message should be free and for everyone.